0: part 2 chapters 3 and 4 of dr Dolittle's post office this librivox recording is in the public domain dr doulittle's post office by hugh lofting part 2 chapter 3 the birds that helped columbus after the doctor had written his first letter by swallow mail to the cat's meat man he began to think of all the other people to whom he had neglected to write for years and years and very soon every spare moment he had was filled in writing to friends and acquaintances everywhere and then of course there were the letters he sent to and received from birds and animals all over the world first he wrote to the various bird leaders who were in charge of the branch offices at cape horn tibet tahiti Kashmir, christmas island greenland and puddleby on the marsh to them he gave careful instructions how the branch post offices were to be run always insisting on strict politeness from the post office clerks and he answered all the questions that the branch postmasters wrote asking for guidance and he sent letters to various fellow naturalists whom he knew in different countries and gave them a whole lot of information about the yearly flights or migration of birds because of course in the bird mail business He learned a great deal on that subject that had never been known to naturalists before. Outside the post office, he had a notice board set up, on which were posted the outgoing and incoming mails. The notices would read something like this. Next Wednesday, July 18, the Red
1: Winged Plovers will leave this office for Denmark and points on the Skagger Rack. Post your mail early, please all letters should bear a fourpenny stamp small packages will also be carried on this flight for morocco
0: portugal and the channel islands whenever a new flight of birds were expected at no man's land the doctor always had a big supply of food of their particular kind got ready for their arrival beforehand he had at the big meeting with the leaders put down in his notebook the dates of all yearly flights of the different kinds of birds Where they started from and where they went to and this notebook was kept with great care one day speedy was sitting on top of the weighing scales while the doctor was sorting a large pile of outgoing letters suddenly the skimmer cried out
2: great heavens doctor i've gained an ounce i'll never be able to fly in the races again look it says four and a half ounces
1: no speedy said the doctor see you have an ounce weight on the pen as well as yourself. That makes you only three and a half
0: ounces. Oh, said the skimmer.
2: Is that the trouble? I was never good at arithmetic. <laughs> what a relief. Thank goodness. I haven't gained.
1: Listen, Speedy, said the doctor. In this batch of mail, we have a lot of letters for Panama. What mails have we got going out tomorrow? "'Sure,'
0: said Speedy.
2: "'I'll
1: go and look at the notice-board. "'I think it's the Golden
2: Jays.
0: "'Yes,' he said, coming back in a moment. "'That's
2: right. "'The Golden Jays tomorrow. "'Tuesday the 15th. "'Weather permitting.'
1: "'Where are they bound for, Speedy?' "'asked the doctor. "'My notebook's in the
0: safe.'
2: "'From Dahomey to Venezuela,'
0: said Speedy, "'raising his right foot to smother a yawn. "'Good.' said John Doolittle.
1: Then they can take these Panama letters for me. It won't be much out of their way. What do golden jays eat? They are very fond of acorns, said Speedy. All right, said the doctor. Please tell Gub-Gub for me to go across to the island and get the wild boars to gather up a couple of sacks of acorns. I want all the birds who work for us to have a good feed before
0: they leave the main office for their flights. The next morning when the doctor woke up he heard a tremendous chattering all around the post office and he knew that the golden jays had arrived overnight and after he had dressed and come out onto the veranda there sure enough they were myriads of very handsome gold and black birds swarming everywhere gossiping away at a great rate and gobbling up the acorns laid out for them in bushels the leader who already knew the doctor of course came forward to get orders and to see how much mail there was to be carried after everything had been arranged and the leader had decided he need expect no tornadoes or bad weather for the next twenty-four hours he gave a command then all the birds rose in the air to fly away whistling farewell to postmaster-general Doolittle and the head office oh by the way doctor said so the leader turning back a moment did you ever hear
3: of a man called christopher columbus oh surely said the doctor he discovered america in fourteen ninety two well i just wanted to tell you said the jay that if it hadn't been for an ancestor of mine he wouldn't have discovered it in fourteen ninety two later perhaps but not in
0: 1492." "Oh, indeed said john dolittle tell me more about it and he pulled a notebook out of his pocket and started to write
3: well said the jay the story was handed down to me by my mother who heard it from my grandmother who got it from my great-grandmother and so on way back to an ancestor of ours who lived in america in the fifteenth century our kind of birds in those days did not come across to this side of the atlantic neither summer nor winter we used to spend from march to september in the bermudas and the rest of the year in venezuela and when we made the autumn journey south we used to stop at the bahama islands to rest on the way the fall of the year fourteen ninety two was a stormy season gales and squalls were blowing up all the time and we did not get started on our trip until the second week in october my ancestor had been the leader of the flock for a long time but he had grown sort of old and feeble and a younger bird was elected in his place to lead the golden jays to venezuela that year The new leader was a conceited youngster, and because he had been chosen, he thought he knew everything about navigation and weather and sea crossings. Shortly after the birds started, they sighted, to their great astonishment, a number of boats sailing on a westward course, and this was about halfway between the Bermudas and the Bahamas. The ships were much larger than anything they had ever seen before. All they had been accustomed to up to that time were little canoes with Indians in them. The new leader immediately got scared, and gave the order for the Jays to swing in further towards the land, so they wouldn't be seen by the man who crowded these large boats. He was a superstitious leader, and anything he didn't understand he kept away from. But my ancestor did not go with the flock, but made straight for the ships. He was gone about twenty minutes, and presently he flew after the other birds, and said to the new leader, "'Over there!' In those ships a brave man is in great danger they come from europe seeking land the sailors not knowing how near they are to sighting it have mutinied against their admiral i am an old bird and i know this brave seafarer once when i was making a crossing the first i ever made a gale came up and i was separated from my fellows for three days i had to fly with the battering wind and finally i was blown eastward near the old world just when i was ready to drop into the sea from exhaustion i spied a ship i simply had to rest i was weather-beaten and starving so i made for the boat and fell half dead upon the deck the sailors were going to put me in a cage but the captain of the ship this same navigator whose life is now threatened by his rebellious crew in those ships over there fed me crumbs and nursed me back to life then he let me go free to fly to venezuela when the weather was fair we are land birds let us now save this good man's life by going to his ship and showing ourselves to his sailors they will then know that land is near and be obedient to their captain yes
1: yes said the doctor go on i remember columbus writing of land birds in his diary
3: go on so said the jay the whole flock turned and made for columbus's fleet they were only just in time for the sailors were ready to kill their admiral who they said had brought them on a fool's errand to find land where there was none he must turn back and sail for spain they said or be killed but when the sailors saw a great flock of land birds passing over the ship going southwest instead of west they took new heart for they were sure land must lie not far to the southwestward. so we led them on to the bahamas and on the seventh day very early in the morning the crew with a cry of land land fell down on their knees and gave thanks to heaven watlings island one of the smaller bahamas lay ahead of them smiling in the sea then the sailors gathered about the admiral christopher columbus whom a little before they were going to kill and cheered and called him the greatest navigator in the world which in truth he was but even columbus himself never learned to his dying day that it was the weather-beaten bird who had fallen on his friendly deck some years before who had led him by the shortest cut to the land of the new world so you see doctor the jay ended picking up his letters and getting ready to fly if it hadn't been for my ancestor christopher columbus would have had to turn back to please his sailors or be killed if it hadn't been for him America would not have been discovered in fourteen ninety two, later, perhaps, but not in fourteen ninety two. Goodbye. I must be going. Thanks for the acords.
0: Chapter four. Cape Stephen Light On the west coast of Africa, about twenty miles to the northward of Fantippo, there was a cape running out into the sea which had a lighthouse on it called the Cape Stephen Light. THIS LIGHT WAS KEPT CAREFULLY BURNING BY THE GOVERNMENT WHO CONTROLLED THAT PART OF AFRICA, IN ORDER THAT SHIPS SHOULD SEE IT FROM THE SEA AND KNOW WHERE THEY WERE. IT WAS A DANGEROUS PART OF THE COAST, THIS. THERE WERE MANY ROCKS AND SHALLOWS NEAR THE END OF CAPE STEPHEN, AND IF THE LIGHT WERE EVER ALLOWED TO GO OUT AT NIGHT, OF COURSE SHIPS TRAVELING THAT PART OF THE SEA WOULD BE IN GREAT DANGER OF RUNNING INTO THE LONG CAPE AND WRECKING THEMSELVES now one evening not long after the golden jays had gone west the doctor was writing letters in the post office by the light of a candle it was late and all the animals were fast asleep long ago presently while he wrote he heard a sound a long way off coming through the open window at his elbow he put down his pen and listened it was the sound of a seabird calling away out at sea Now sea birds don't, as a rule, call very much, unless they are in great numbers. This call sounded like a single bird. The doctor put his head through the window and looked out. It was a dark night, as black as pitch, and he couldn't see a thing, especially as his eyes were used to the light of the candle. The mysterious call was repeated again and again, like a cry of distress from the sea. THE DOCTOR DIDN'T QUITE KNOW WHAT TO MAKE OF IT. BUT SOON HE THOUGHT IT SEEMED TO BE COMING NEARER, AND GRABBING HIS HAT HE RAN OUT ONTO THE VERANDA. WHAT IS IT? WHAT'S THE MATTER? HE SHOUTED INTO THE DARKNESS OVER THE SEA. HE GOT NO ANSWER. BUT SOON, WITH A RUSH OF WINGS THAT NEARLY BLEW HIS CANDLE OUT, A GREAT SEAGULL SWEPT DOWN ONTO THE houseboat RAIL BESIDE HIM. DOCTOR! PANTED THE CALL
4: the cape stephen light is out i don't know what's the matter it has never gone out before we use it as a landmark you know when we are flying after dark the night's as black as ink i'm afraid some ship will surely run into the cape i thought i'd come and tell you
1: good heavens cried the doctor what can have happened there's a lighthouse keeper living there to attend to it was it lighted earlier in the evening
4: i don't know
0: said the gull
4: I was coming in from catching herring. They're running just now, you know, a little to the north. And, expecting to see the light, I lost my way and flew miles too far south. When I found out my mistake, I went back, flying close down by the shore, and I came to the Stephen Cape, but it had no light. It was black as anything, and I would have run right into the rocks myself if I hadn't been going carefully.
1: How far would it be from here? Asked John Doolittle.
4: "'Well, by land, it would be twenty-five miles to where the lighthouse stands,'
0: said the gull.
4: "'But by water, it would be only about twelve, I should say.'
0: "'All right,' said the doctor, hurrying into his coat. "'Wait just a moment till I wake Dab-Dab.' The doctor ran into the post-office kitchen and woke the poor housekeeper, who was slumbering soundly beside the kitchen stove. "'Listen, Dab-Dab,' said the doctor, shaking her. "'Wake
1: up! The Cape Stephen Light's gone out!' Was that
0: said dab-dab sleepily opening her eyes
5: stove's gone out
0: no
1: the lighthouse on cape stephen said the doctor a gull just came by and told me the shipping's in danger wrecks you know and all that wake up and look sensible for pity's
0: sake at last poor dab-dab fully awakened understood what was the matter and in a moment she was up and doing
5: i know where it is doctor i'll fly right over there no i won't need the gull to guide me you keep him to show you the way follow me immediately in the canoe if i can find out anything i'll come back and meet you halfway. if not i'll wait for you by the lighthouse tower thank goodness it's a calm night anyway even if it is dark
0: with a flap of her wings dab-dab flew right through the open window and was gone into the night while the doctor grabbed his little black medicine bag and calling to the gull to follow him ran down to the other end of the houseboat untied the canoe and jumped in then he pushed off headed around the island of no man's land and paddled for all he was worth for the seaward end of cape stephen about halfway to the long neck of land that jutted out into the gloomy ocean the doctor's canoe was met by dab-dab Though how she found it in the darkness, with only the sound of the paddle to guide her, goodness only knows. Doctor, said she,
5: if the lighthouse keeper is in there at all, he must be sick or something. I hammered on the windows, but nobody answered.
0: Dear me, muttered the doctor, paddling harder than ever. I wonder what can have happened.
5: And that's not the worst,
0: (laughs) said Dab-Dab.
5: On the far side of the cape, you can't see it from here there's the headlight of a big sailing ship bearing down southward making straight for the rocks they can't see the lighthouse and they don't know what danger they're in
0: good lord groaned the doctor and he nearly broke the paddle as he turned the water astern to make the canoe go faster yet
4: how far off the rocks is the ship now
0: asked the gull
5: about a mile i should say
0: said dab-dab
5: but she's a big one judging by the height of her mast light and she won't be long before she's
4: aground on the cape keep right on doctor
0: said the gull
4: i'm going off to get some friends of mine
0: and the seagull spread his wings and flew away toward the land calling the same cry as the doctor had heard through the post-office window john Dolittle had no idea of what he meant to do nor was the gull himself sure that he would be in time to succeed with the plan he had in mind But presently, to his delight, the seabird heard his call being answered from the rocky shores shrouded in darkness, and soon he had hundreds of his brother gulls circling round him in the night. Then he took them to the great ship, which was sailing calmly onward toward the rocks and destruction, and there going forward to where the helmsman held the spokes of the wheel and watched the compass swinging before him in the light of a little dim lamp the gulls started dashing themselves into the wheelman's face and covering the glass of the compass so he could not steer the ship. The helmsman, battling with the birds, set up a yell for help, saying he couldn't see to steer the boat. Then the officers and sailors rushed in to his assistance and tried to beat the birds off in the meantime the doctor in his canoe had reached the end of cape stephen and springing ashore he scrambled up the rocks to where the great tower of the lighthouse rose skyward over the black unlighted sea feeling and fumbling he found the door and hammered on it yelling to be let in but no one answered him and dab-dab whispered in a hoarse voice that the light of the ship was nearer now less than half a mile from the rocks then the doctor drew back for a run and threw his whole weight against the door but the hinges and lock had been made to stand the beating of the sea and they budged no more than if he had been a fly at last with a roar of rage the doctor grabbed up a rock from the ground as big as a chair and banged it with all his might against the lock of the lighthouse door with a crash the door flew open and the doctor sprang within on the ship the seamen were still fighting with the gulls the captain seeing that no helmsman could steer the boat right with thousands of wings fluttering in his eyes gave the orders to lay the ship to for a little and to get out the hose-pipes and a strong stream of water was turned on to the gulls around the helmsman so they could no longer get near him then the ship got under way again and came on toward the cape once more inside the lighthouse the doctor found the darkness blacker still With hands outstretched before him, he hurried forward, and the first thing he did was to stumble over a man who was lying on the floor just within the door. Without waiting to see what was the matter with him, the doctor jumped over his body and began to grope his way up the winding stairs of the tower that led to the big lamp at the top. Meanwhile, Dab-Dab stayed below at the door, looking out over the sea at the mast light of the ship which after a short delay was now coming on again towards the rocks. At any minute she expected the great beam of the lighthouse lamp to flare out over the sea, as soon as the doctor should get it lit, to warn the sailors of their danger. But instead, she presently heard the doctor's agonized voice calling from the head of the stairs.
1: "'Dab-dab! Dab-dab! I can't light it! We forgot to bring matches!' "'Well, what
5: have you done with the matches, doctor?'
0: "'Called Dab-Dab.'
5: "'They were always in
1: your coat.' "'I left them beside my pipe on the information desk,' came the doctor's voice from the top of the dark stairs. "'But there must be matches in the lighthouse somewhere. We must find them.'
5: "'What chance have we of that?'
1: shouted Dab-Dab.
5: "'It's as black as black down here, and the ship is coming nearer every minute.'
0: "'Feel in the man's pockets.' "'Call John little "'Hurry!' "'In a minute Dab-Dab went through the pockets of the man "'who lay so still upon the floor.
5: "'He hasn't any matches on him!'
0: "'She shouted.
5: "'Not a single one!' "'Confound the luck!
0: "'Muttered John Doodle. "'And then there was a solemn silence in the lighthouse, "'while the doctor above and Dab-Dab below "'thought gloomily of that big ship sailing onward to her wreck, because they had no matches but suddenly out of the black stillness came a small sweet voice singing somewhere near dab dab cried the doctor in a whisper do you hear that
1: a canary there's a canary singing somewhere probably in a cage in the lighthouse kitchen in a moment he was clattering down the stairs come on he cried we must find the kitchen that canary will know where the matches are
0: kept find the kitchen then the two of them went stumbling around in the darkness feeling the walls and presently they came upon a low door opened it and fell headlong down a short flight of steps that led to the lighthouse kitchen this was a little underground room like a cellar cut out of the rock on which the lighthouse stood if there was any fire or stove in it it had long since gone out for the darkness here was as black as anywhere else but as soon as the door had opened the trills of the songbird grew louder tell me called john Dolittle in canary language where are the matches quick oh at last you've come said a high small polite voice out of the darkness
4: would you mind putting a cover over my cage there's a draught and i can't sleep nobody's been near me since midday i don't know what can have happened to the keeper he always covers up my cage at tea-time But tonight I wasn't covered at all, so I went on singing. You'll find my cover up on the... Matches! Matches! Where are the matches?
0: Screamed Dab-Dab.
5: The light's out and there's a ship in danger! Where are the matches
4: kept? On the mantelpiece, next to the pepper box.
0: Uh, said the canary.
4: Come over here to my cage and feel along to your left. High up and your hand will fall right on them
0: the doctor sprang across the room upsetting a chair on his way and felt along the wall his hand touched the corner of a stone shelf and the next moment dab-dab gave a deep sigh of relief for she heard the cheerful rattle of a box of matches as the doctor fumbled to strike a light
4: you'll find a candle on the table that look behind you
0: said the canary when the match light dimly lit up the kitchen with trembling fingers the doctor lit the candle Then, shielding the flame with his hand, he bounded out of the room and up the stairs. At last, he muttered. Let's hope I'm not too late. At the head of the kitchen steps, he met the seagull coming into the lighthouse with two companions. Doctor, cried the gull.
5: We held off the ship as long as we could, but the stupid sailors, not knowing we were trying to save them, turned hoses on us, and we had to give up. The ship is terribly near now.
0: Without a word, the doctor sped on up the winding steps of the tower. Round and round he went upward till he was ready to drop from dizziness. At length, reaching the great glass-lamp chamber at the top, he set down his candle, and striking two matches at once, he held one in each hand and lit the big wick in two places. By this time, Dab-Dab had gone outside again and was watching over the sea for the uncoming ship and when at last the great light from the big lamp at the top of the tower suddenly flared out over the sea there was the bow of the vessel not more than a hundred yards from the rocky shore of the cape then came a cry from the lookout shouted orders from the captain much blowing of whistles and ringing of bells and just in time to save herself from a watery grave the big ship swung her nose out to sea and sailed safely past upon her way End of part two, chapter four.